Greetings and welcome to The Wellness Space, a weekly podcast specifically designed to address the social, emotional, and mental health concerns of educators. I am your host, Erica Dotson-Hooper, manager of the Teaching and Learning Center for the Harris County Department of Education in Houston, Texas. Each Friday, a new episode will be available that promises to inform, inspire, and empower. Thank you for listening. As we begin episode seven, I cannot believe that we are heading towards the end of season one. This has been an amazing journey and I have truly enjoyed connecting with each and every one of you through social media and through emails, hearing your feedback about how much the wellness space has meant to you. I am looking forward to learning more as we sit together with other educators and mental health professionals in the field to strengthen our skill set and encourage us along the way, especially as we prepare to return to campuses. If you want to connect with us, remember to go on to Twitter and follow the Wellness Space page at underscore Wellness Space. And you can also connect with me at Erica D.H. That's E-R-R-I-C-A-D-H. I look forward to talking to you and I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm incredibly excited about today's guest, but before we get started, let's take a moment and step over into the teacher's lounge. Close the door, get comfortable, and take a moment just to breathe. A message to new teachers. I remember the summer before I began my first year of teaching, specifically the last day of Summer Institute. As a Teach for America core member, I had gone through a crash course of sessions and student teaching the summer leading up to my first year of teaching. And I was so excited but also so very overwhelmed. I had sat with some amazing teachers and some amazing colleagues who had given me the best advice on how to develop lessons, engage students, and differentiate my instruction. I also learned how to build community with students, how to close gaps, how to do a read aloud, and how to effectively engage parents. However, I did not know what to expect. It was the unknown that gave me the most trepidation because as a perfectionist, I wanted to get it right. And I wanted to make sure that I was not wasting not a moment of anyone's time, not students, not parents, not my own. I did not want the work that I was doing to be in vain. I did not want to fail students. I wanted to build them. I wanted to invest in them. I wanted to strengthen their skill set and be an advocate for them. I remember on the last day of Summer Institute sitting on the campus of the University of Houston and trying to figure out what was next. What had I gotten myself into? How would I make this work? How could I be successful? And with all this flood of emotion 
coupled with excitement, I didn't know what to do with myself. I remember sharing some of these frustrations with my core member advisor at the time. And she, in her wisdom, handed me a poem that I will never forget. And so I offer it to you today in hopes that you tuck it away into your self-care toolkit and remember these words. If I teach with the best educational techniques and provide stimulating and motivational lessons, but have not love, I am but a time waster, information processor. If I spend hours preparing my lesson plans with the clearest instructional objectives, but have not love, I am just an over-organized ideologue. If I utilize the most eye-catching visuals and the latest classroom technology, but have not love, I am just a high-tech visionary. A loving teacher is kind and patient with every student, regards each student as an important individual, and treats their personal problems with confidence. A loving teacher does not merely talk at, but relates to the students and provides an exemplary model of life to those in the classroom. Teacher's love is not condescending, does not play favorites, does not gossip, does not publicly humiliate, is not easily agitated or discouraged, and does not blow up or give up on misbehaving students. A teacher's love bears the responsibility of instruction, believes the student's mind should not be wasted, hopes that every student will achieve their potential, and endures all disturbances in the process. The latest textbooks will soon be out of date. Contemporary teaching methods will become outmoded. Educational technology is obsolete before we know it, but a loving teacher can affect the student's life forever. Now abideth preparation, instruction, and love, but the greatest of these is a teacher's love that seeks the highest good of the students. Jim Fowler. Teachers, welcome to the profession. And know, if you keep love at the center, you will be successful. And now, let me present to some and introduce to others our guest for today. Bria Williams is an educator, advocate, and firm believer in the interdependence of school, family, and community. In spring of 2019, Bria graduated from Howard University School of Education with a Bachelor's of Science in Urban Elementary Education, summa cum laude. Upon graduating, Bria returned to her hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, and began her career as a first grade teacher in the Charlottesville City School System. During her first year, Bria served on her school's inaugural Equity Council and participated in the year-long Changing the Narrative Collaborative, which sought to reframe and incorporate the teaching of local and Black histories throughout the district. 
She also served as a district-level curriculum contributor, designing both social study modules for distance learning and social studies inquiry design models for the upcoming school year. Currently, Bria is preparing for her second year in the field and transitioning into the role of a fifth grade VA studies and language arts teacher. Beyond her commitment to teaching and learning, Bria has a heart deeply rooted in her community. She spends her free time providing academic enrichment services, co-facilitating courses on social entrepreneurship with a local nonprofit, and providing resources to underserved communities through partnerships with local businesses and programs. More than anything, Bria believes that the progress of the world calls for the best that all of us have to give, and she is excited to continue the journey of giving her best to family, friends, education, and community. And now, let's welcome Bria Williams to the wellness space. Greetings, Bria Williams, and welcome to the wellness space. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about this conversation, and I have to very transparently share that Bria is my child. (laughs) So there was a student exchange program with the district I formerly worked with and the Howard University School of Education. And I was contacted and asked to be a host family uh, for Bria and a few other students from the School of Ed. And they came out to Houston and visited the district, a couple campuses for about a week, right? Was it about a week? Yes, it was a week. And I had a wonderful time with Bria. Uh, the, The more time I spent with her, the more I felt like she was a young lady who I was going to adopt and make a part of my family because she was so brilliant and amazing. And I just really felt that God's hand was on her and that she was amazingly talented. And I wanted to see how things would evolve for her. So um, I have been watching her journey uh, over the past year or so, and I really wanted her to come and share her perspective as a first year teacher. So Bria, I'm super excited to have you. It is such an honor to be here, honestly, and just to be in your shadow. Mama Erica, you already know how I feel about you. (laughs) You have taken care of me and answered the really random questions and text messages at all different hours, even amidst your own schedule. So it's great to be here and to be involved with you. Absolutely. So before we get started, I always like to ask, how are you doing and how are you caring for yourself at this time? Uh, I honestly think I'm probably better than I have been in a really long time right now. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a lot coming off of a first year teaching mm-hmm. and still being in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, I've been really good. I feel protected. I feel, mm-hmm. calm. I feel at peace. And honestly, those are really the only things that we can ask for in this moment. Um, yeah. I've been taking care of myself probably now. Uh, more than I was before, because having so much time to myself, I've really seen the necessity in it and just have mm-hmm. to prioritize it. I've been able to do that. So it's been great. Um, I've been in therapy probably for like mm-hmm. six months now. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been amazing. I've seen a lot of growth there. I've been spending lots of time outside, you know, socially distanced, of course. Mm-hmm. 
going on adventures in nature, staying connected with uh, friends and family on the internet, in person when I can and when it's safe for sure. Um, and really just spending time with myself and tapping into things that I like to do or I'm learning mm-hmm. to do um, and kind of figuring out some new skills and talents. That's awesome, Bria. Um, so uh, my journey over this time has been up and down, but I definitely have taken advantage of therapy. It has been so beneficial. And I think during this time, you have the opportunity to sit and process in a way that you probably wouldn't uh, when things are up and moving and you're in the hustle and bustle of life and work and people and relationships. So um, that has been really great for me as well. Also, as you said, working on your internal, um, your inner, your inner feelings, your thoughts, um, all those things that you don't normally get to work on. And I've been doing a lot of yoga and meditating, which has been amazing. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing some inner work that's helping you to thrive during this time. So as we get started, I just wanted to know what actually brought you into the field of education, because a lot of our guests kind of stumble upon it, even if they have the heart for it, they didn't, you know, actually go into education initially, but have been kind of guided that path. But you started out um, by, you know, pursuing an education degree. So tell me a little about what brought you to that place. So if I be transparent, I actually did not begin my tenure at Howard University as an education major. Mm-hmm. I started off as a psychology and sociology double major. That was my whole thing. I wanted to affect mm-hmm. social systems and help people by understanding people. Um, mm-hmm. But historically, taking it back, I guess, maybe five more years before that, uh, I'd always been in the church. And the part of the church that really um, I found myself most drawn to was the children's ministry. So I was spending uh, a lot of the time in the classroom uh, during church services, and I was coming up with like really cool little projects. Uh, Eventually, I think I was probably one of the youngest to be able to do it at my home church, had my own classroom a couple of Sundays out of the month. And uh, the director of the program there, also an HBCU graduate, um, she told me, you know, this is what you're going to do. You're Mm -hmm. a teacher. And I kind of (laughs) looked at her like, lady, no, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Um, so many people around me in different capacities that told me, you know, you're way too smart to be a teacher. You know, you should be doing yeah. something with some more money attached to it. That was kind mm-hmm. of the argument. Mm-hmm. Hence, I went in uh, with the feedback of I'm going to get a social science degree. And once I have those social science degrees and all these credentials behind my name, I'll still get to help children and I'll be making the money that I, quote unquote, deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, first semester at Howard as a psychology and sociology major, I was miserable Mm. I cried almost every night um the Mm -hmm. way Howard works uh, they kind of place you as a freshman on a floor or in a dorm kind of community with people who share the same major as you I Mm -hmm. realized even though these girls are amazing people I don't have anything in common with them um Mm -hmm. is concerned I can't see my life you know as this for forever Mm -hmm. I cried a lot I prayed, I cried some more, um, mm-hmm. kind of started soul searching. And I talked to my mom some, that's my angel. And mm-hmm. she was just reminded me, go back to what you know, you know, whatever decision you make, I'm going to support you and just know, you know, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Mm-hmm. So the money piece kind of started going out of the window with that statement. And I started looking at different programs and I found the education program. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth because advising at most HBCUs, um, it's, <laughs> it's scattered. It can be scattered. And there are yeah. like different systems in play. And I, as a freshman, didn't know, you know, which system I was supposed to be involved in because I was assigned an advisor when I first came in. So mm-hmm. I wanted to go to a different program, but not necessarily which program. I was kind of just casting, casting a net in a pond, <laughs> knowing yeah. what I was doing. But then mm-hmm. I found School of Education and I realized who my advisor would be. And she was just such a sweetheart. She supported me in my transition and was like, you know, technically I won't be your advisor until your sophomore year, but I really want to help you get into this program. I think you could be an asset to this program. And the way that they kind of just wrapped me up in love mm. was one of their students and seeing, um, what a close-knit community the School of Education had at Howard, in spite of being in the middle of the capital of this country on a huge campus, uh, it really felt like home. So yeah. I changed my major, um, started working with kids almost immediately uh, upon getting in the program. And that's one of the things that I think I loved the most about Howard School of Education. From mm-hmm. semester, sophomore year, they always had you somehow involved in the local landscape of education. Mm-hmm. that that firsthand experience is really what solidified my choice to change and say yeah this is what I'm going to be doing this is what my life is for mm-hmm. so like many other guests it was definitely an accident <laughs> but I knew in my heart that I always had um, some kind of calling for working with children and working with communities mm-hmm. so I know that you did some work in schools before graduation can you tell me a little about those experiences I sure can. Um, Wow. (laughs) So I guess in different capacities, I've kind of always been working with children. So as far as my undergraduate career is concerned, um, worked with some of my cohort members and we started a tutoring program at an education campus in Northwest DC. So very, very close to our own backyard in the Howard community. And we worked with children um, who were in, I think, fourth grade, fourth grade and up. Those were the Mm -hmm. we worked with coordinated with the dean there was actually our placement school and mm-hmm. so many of the kids had taken to us in grades that weren't the grades we were observing in we said you know we'll come back and we can offer academic support so that mm-hmm. was a really cool program that we did for most of the time I was an undergrad um, and then also we started uh, what's called HU Wellness Day and mm-hmm. partnership with the Howard University School of Education and the Howard University Middle School of Math and Science HU uh, MS squared Mm-hmm. So that was a program that had specific initiatives about mental wellness, environmental wellness, physical wellness. And we came over and we volunteered with the students, uh, kind of did some seminars, called in some alum. It was absolutely amazing. Um, so we did that for two years. It was an honor to be a part of it. And then uh, I was also nannying while I was in D.C. for an mm-hmm. family. So I was still kind of doing some uh, work directly with children. And then... I was tutoring some of the students who I actually student taught for uh, during my last round of placement senior year. Okay. And, and I was also pretty active when I came home. So while I was home, I think my first summer home, I was a summer camp counselor for preteens. Amazing experience. Did the same thing sophomore summer. So I also um, was a preteen camp counselor. But then my junior year, uh, that uh-huh. summer, I actually was working for one of my old teachers, Mr. John Hunter, um, Mm -hmm. his organization, the World Peace Game Foundation, as a research intern. So I was doing research on the implementations and uh, later implications of uh, specified 
model for teaching uh, social studies. So it was like a real life game simulation of the world. Mm. Play that. So I was tracking outcomes. Where are all these people who played this game? So that was an exciting project. But of course, you know, I just can't get away from working with kids one on one. So in addition to me doing um, the internship and research, I was also uh, an intern at a museum. So Mm -hmm. I was doing um, docent kind of education. I was learning how to teach about art pieces in museums. And Mm -hmm. then they were like, hey, you teach kids? Is that what you said? (laughs) Partnership with the local preteen camp, which was the same camp I worked for the previous summer. Um, Mm -hmm. The lead of photography exhibition. Didn't know the first thing about photography. They told me kind of the things that they wanted to target and I made it into some lessons. So I was working with kids then. Um, Yeah, so I've kind of just been at it from all different facets. I've done museum education, recreational education, educational research. Um, I was a fellow with the Walton Family Foundation and the United Negro College Fund uh, my senior year. And I was working with a DC-based organization, PAVE, Parents Amplifying Voices in Education, kind of putting together some of their logistics and seeing, again, the impact of their programming and how they got families involved in the greater landscape of the educational community. So you name it, I've probably done it. Oh, I also have done um, reformational education. So with mm-hmm. one of my favorite, favorite people from Howard, Miss Nicole Sabai, um, we co-taught a class at a detention center in Laurel, Maryland um, that was self-constructed. So we taught um, detained youth uh principles of African-American history from a contemporary lens. So we covered things like gentrification and redlining and police brutality. And that was another super dynamic experience. Wow. So you have a wealth of experience. I mean, I guess that's even an understatement. (laughs) You had so much exposure, Um, but you began your first year of teaching the 2019-2020 school year. Um, And oh, what a year to start as a first year teacher. If you had to wrap your year up in one word, what would it be? Incredible. So tell me when you began working as a teacher, what was the biggest surprise? I think my biggest surprise was probably the workload and the pacing of everything. Mm -hmm. So um, it's no exaggeration when they say that teachers literally do everything because we Mm -hmm. do everything. And um, I'm so, so grateful for my School of Education family, the amazing professors who still mention me to this day. And people such as yourself still, you know, kind of take care of me and guide me. And I was taught how to do all of the things. That was great. Mm -hmm. That, do that. But then the part when I actually had to do all of the things and I had to do everything every single day, it was like, whoa. Yeah. I did not prepare for this pace. And I don't know if there was a way that I could have prepared for Mm -hmm. that the life of an educator really calls for. Mm hmm. How did you handle that um, once you came to that realization that it was you in the trenches making everything happen? How did you handle that on a daily basis? Uh, I had to get some discipline about me. Mm-hmm. I had to start writing stuff down and scheduling stuff specifically. Um, I also had to open my mouth mm-hmm. and tap into my resources and say, hey, you know, do you have a lesson for this already? Can you show me how to do that? Can you tell me, um, you know, a time management system that worked best for you? Um, I had a colleague, uh, she's like the queen of first grade. I was teaching mm-hmm. first grade. So thankfully I was right across the hall from her. And every time I had a question, I was literally like at her door. She would be mm-hmm. in the middle of teaching a lesson 
and I'd be like, hey, you know, I know you're doing this right now, but is there any way you could tell me how you do this thing that we're supposed to do later in the day just so I can make sure I'm fully prepared for it? And yeah. Was very receptive, um, open, and would give me things, some things I never used, but just, you know, having those things at my disposal and knowing, you know, you're not a burden for asking for help. It's not a bad thing if you need support. Use your resources. That's the only way that you're going to be successful in this. And I think that she and another one of my teammates probably... Um, were the ones that got that through to my head because I'm kind of a get it done on my own kind of person but mm-hmm. I will not survive in this profession trying to be that way and I thank them for teaching me that mm-hmm. there there is a power uh that you find when you band together with other teachers and collaborate and share ideas um there is definitely power in mentorship and a lot of people aren't open for that so definitely kudos to you for kind of pushing past your comfort zone uh, and reaching out and asking for the help that you needed so as you think back um what were some of your victories from this past year um I think I had a lot of victories this year I had a lot of struggles but I also had probably even more victories Mm -hmm. Um, and my biggest victory was becoming comfortable with giving myself grace Mm-hmm. And knowing that I didn't know everything every time and that I'm mm-hmm. going to make a mistake and coming in with that mindset that I'm just going to do the best that I know how to do mm-hmm. and then tomorrow I'm going to learn more so I can do better. So really adopting that mindset was definitely a victory. Um, I had some really dynamic students, mm-hmm. students who were maybe brand new to the setting of a public school in general um, some that were facing some challenges um, at home, just all kinds of things. I worked in a Title I school, so, we, you know, we're not immune to anything. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of things, and we carry a lot of hurt for these kids. But I really feel like I was able to build connections with not just one or two of my students, but every single one of my students. And that, to me, in and of itself is a victory because you can't mm-hmm. educate a child unless you have the trust and the love of that child and their family. So once I was able to establish those relationships, I felt like I could literally do anything as far as their concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some parents telling me, you know, my kid was crying. They didn't want to come to school at first. Last year was hard. But now, you know, they're so excited because they just want to go see Miss Williams. Or they want to talk to Miss Williams. Um, mm-hmm. Even making connections with children who weren't in my grade level. Mm-hmm. And that to me spoke volumes because the first grade wing, our building was a little weird. The first grade wing was in the basement of the school that I taught in. So I'm kind of ostracized from everybody else, every other grade level in the building. But to have fourth graders who knew my name and were excited and lit up to see me in the hallway, that meant something to me. Yeah. It meant that what I was doing was authentic and it was transparent. Tell us a little bit more about what you were doing. I was going to ask, you know, how did you build those relationships with students? And how do you think you were able to connect with students that you didn't even touch on a daily basis? I mean, it was a process um, because kids are people and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a duh statement, but also it's something that kind of goes over so many people's heads. Kids are people. They have personality. They have likes. They have dislikes. Talking Mm -hmm. to kids, baby talk doesn't work. Yeah. So I had to really learn each child's language and figure out, you know, what they spoke, what they were into. Um, I went to dance recitals. I went Mm -hmm. to soccer games. Mm-hmm. I showed up at birthday parties with the coolest present, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Um, I allowed probably more than I should have. I hope my, my former principal doesn't listen to this. But I allowed, 
birthday parties then were allowed technically um, by our school calendar. I would invite families in to spend time. I would send positive notes home um, and not just, you know, notes of suggestions and things to change or do differently. But really, I worked hard to make myself a bridge and leverage those relationships to encourage my students, you know, and let them know they can do anything that they put their minds to. And that as long as they tried, I was going to be right there with them trying. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be especially important uh, moving forward into the new school year, uh, especially in the face of COVID-19. If you don't mind sharing, do you know what your school's plan is as they head back into the fall? If I knew, I would probably share. Mm -hmm. Uh, As of right now, there's not supposed to be another board meeting to make an actual decision for another six days. So Um, I'm in a weird place right now where I'm almost in limbo. It's like, should I be buying stuff for in the classroom or should I be trying to find sponsors to get my kids hotspots distance learning? And I think that um, CCS is really doing the best that they can to find a solution that is um, workable for most families. Obviously, no solution is going to be great for every family, but I think that they've taken a step back and allowed some time to really figure out what specific groups of families need. I'm going to trust the process and do the best I can to remain open-minded and adaptable because um, students don't need somebody that's perfect. Students don't need somebody that has all the answers, all decorations in the classroom. They need someone that's going to be transparent and is going to grow right alongside them. And I think that's where I found most of the success that I had with my first graders because I told them almost every day, you know, guys, I'm learning just like you are. We're all together. So let's all, you know, make the mistakes, make the choices, but as long as we're accountable, it'll be okay. And I feel that same way about not just my district, but every district in the country. As long as you're listening and trying, and then you're remaining accountable, it's going to be okay. Because we're all in a new position right now. Nobody knows what the right answer is. Mm -hmm. So what do you think were some of your areas of struggle this past school year? Um, Time management, definitely. Uh, was a struggle because like I said earlier there were a lot of moving pieces Mm -hmm. and I knew like kind of how I wanted to do some things but it was just like okay now how do I time this thing so that it works better with that thing and they all kind of come together and make a solid classroom management kind of style so managing my time in the classroom then managing my time on a personal level when I was at home so I could make sure I had enough energy going back into the classroom but also everything was done Mm mm-hmm Another thing, any rising teachers who are going to be teaching uh, pre-K one, pre-K two in some areas, you should be cognizant initially that you very likely might have uh, a teaching assistant or a co-teacher. That mm-hmm. wasn't that really crossed my brain a lot in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Except at a first grade position, they go, okay, and you're going to be working with such and such. And I say, say what now? <laughs> I'm going to do what? <laughs> you know um this is going to be your co-teacher they'll be in the classroom with you all day they'll take your kids here and then there but also they're going to be responsible for teaching what you tell them to teach mm-hmm. oh, wait, wait a minute wait a minute run that back you want mm-hmm. to teach kids but then you also want me to make a plan for somebody else to teach kids even though <laughs> i've never taught these kids or this great typically before myself so it was kind of difficult to dictate um the schedule or the, you know, just express my needs to another adult when I wasn't quite sure yet what to do on my own. Um, But I'm really grateful. I had a TA that was absolutely amazing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And her to this day, I wish I could take her with me to my new school 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also very um, guiding to me. It, and I think that that's something also so important for any rising educators or even practicing educators, because some of us get in this field and we get comfortable. And mm-hmm. it's my prayer that that never happens to me. It's not just other teachers who you should be listening to or receiving guidance from. There are people who have done um, support roles or just things around the building that they've noticed things um, that can help you and aid in your process. So she was definitely my backbone most of the school year. And even when we transitioned to distance learning, she was still sending me resources and saying, hey, what if we try this with the kids? If we try that with the kids, I'm touching in with, you know, this family this way. I'm connecting via the Facebook post. So uh, once I got that relationship down, I think it made the rest of my school year honestly easier um, mm-hmm. to, to rely on other people. Um, and then I think probably my last and most difficult struggle was uh, managing the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is something that teachers should be asking in their interviews. What is your curriculum like? What curriculum are you using? Um, and what is, you know, the pacing of said curriculum? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had uh, in my grade level five or six different pieces of required curriculum mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how I'm going to do a grading system, how I'm going to do a class management system, how I'm going to connect with families and then figuring out, OK, I got to read this lesson by this day because I'm going to deliver it on this time for five or six different books. It was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but again the queen of first grade stepped in and she was like hey do you want to see my schedule and she literally had it like mapped out every single day had the number day of school on the top and then like box by box it was like okay in writing we're teaching this piece of curriculum this day in reading we're doing that in phonics we're doing this and it really just gave me a sense of peace now I'm not going to lie I'm in a transparent space right now yeah. <laughs> I did get every piece of curriculum every single day when I was supposed to Mm-hmm. And at first I beat myself up about it. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I got to speed up. Oh my, no, no, mm-hmm. you don't have to, you have to give yourself grace to grow in this profession. That's the only way that you'll last. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, did you accomplish what you wanted? Um, or were there some things that you wish you would have done differently this school year? Now, had you asked me this question on March the 13th, the answer would be very different. Mm-hmm. I would probably initially say, no, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to because I didn't make sure that uh, this group of kids had, you know, reached uh, the benchmark for reading or the benchmark for math or, you know, I didn't um, dot this I or cross this T. Mm-hmm. But I, in hindsight, asking me this question now, yes, I did accomplish what I sought to accomplish. Um, I think that all of my children knew that I loved them and I cared about them when they mm-hmm. came to my classroom and when they left my classroom. And I saw substantial growth in all of my kids. Um, kids who came from, you know, different backgrounds, um, different uh, income statuses, all of the different things. Everyone grew. And mm-hmm. that, realistically, in hindsight now, that should be your only goal as an educator. You should not demarcate yourself by saying, you know, this is how much it has to happen for me to be successful. Uh, Mm -hmm. times it has to happen for me to be successful as long as you are better than you were when you first started and you see areas of growth then I think that's probably the most important piece so going forward I don't think that I'm going to you know boggle myself down with numbers and saying I need to do this by this time and I need to have this many kids in this group by this time I just need to see that they've gotten from point a to point b and they feel Mm -hmm. loved supported and confident in what they have accomplished for me to feel accomplished Mm -hmm. So 
for new teachers who are listening, um, who may be wondering how to prepare themselves, what would you say is probably the biggest hurdle for new teachers coming into schools? Um, well, right now, it's probably going to be COVID-19. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest hurdle in um, figuring out, you know, what does the protocol look like for the fall? Um, one thing that I will say, though, is don't get caught up in the technicalities of it because mm-hmm. you're in a really fortunate space right now. Mm-hmm. Literally, even the people who have been in the field for 20, 30, 40 years right now, they're clueless. Mm-hmm. And everybody is trying to figure it out right now. So you are okay to be in the position that you're in. What you don't know, a lot of other people don't know. So mm-hmm. ask all of the questions that you have. The only dumb question that exists are the ones that you don't ask. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. question everything, um, even if it's the smallest things. And if you don't feel comfortable enough to ask questions to the people around you and people in your building, I would almost challenge you to, you know, uh, ask yourself, is this really where I'm supposed to be as far as starting my career? You should be in a space where you feel comfortable enough to ask questions, a space enough, a space where you're comfortable enough to grow um, and a space where, you know, you know, I don't know everything and the people around mm-hmm. me know that I don't know everything. But instead of, you know, using that against me, they're going to help me grow and they're going to support me as I do. So really just giving yourself lots of grace and lots of mercy. Um, don't go to Target, y'all. I know I want to <laughs> go to Target so bad right now. Um, and I want to just, because, you know, they got the little cute stuff in the dollar spot for teachers. But unless you absolutely know 100% certainly that you're going to be in a classroom right now, don't waste that money. Um, mm-hmm. Tap into your network. Uh, get an Amazon wish list, anything that you need, get a donors choose project. There are so mm-hmm. many people who are willing to support teachers, not just provide academic resources, prayers and encouragement, but they will get stuff for your classroom. So be cognizant that you don't have to do all of this on your own and be sure that you're in a space where you're comfortable um, enough to know that, you know, I'm not doing this on my own. There are other people here who will support me. Yes. And thank you for sharing those resources. Are there other websites or apps that you used or leaned on to help you this year that you could suggest to teachers? Um, I love Go Noodle. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just because I'm a largely kinesthetic kind of teacher. That mm-hmm. is what enables me to reach so many different kinds of students because, you know, if all of the wiggles are out of the way, then you've got the full brain there in that moment. So definitely mm-hmm. find on Go Noodle, even for older kids. Uh, it works at least up to seventh or eighth grade. Trust me, I've tried. Um, <laughs> Brain Pop was also a good supplement. Call me old school, but Brain Pop helps reinforce a lot of concepts. Kids learn great through technology. Um, I use Class Dojo and Class Tag to reach out and connect with different families. Um, yeah, and those were some of my favorites, I think, to keep it kind of brief. So as you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, you know, we have this unique opportunity to reimagine and redesign schools um, to educate students virtually. Um, What would you like to see um, that may not have been possible prior to this time? I think that the beautiful thing in this moment is that people are forced to look at equity. Mm-hmm. some places where you know it was kind of easier to overlook before mm-hmm. now if you've got a set group of students who you know have some kind of commonality and none of them have signed in for you know your virtual learning kind of activities and exchanges now you have to address that so definitely seeing more equity going forth um 
in school divisions all across the country. And mm-hmm. to me, in a perfect world, education looks community-based. So mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, the teachers are teaching and the families are family in, and then the kids are doing both. Mm-hmm. No, no. There should be uh, <laughs> partnerships with um, businesses in the community, partnerships with family, where you're bringing family into the classroom. Like I had families coming in to read. Um, uh, I had all kinds of different things going on. We did a community cupcake wars. Literally had almost 100 mm-hmm. cupcakes. I didn't pay for a single one. Mm. I had actual local chefs come in and do demos with my kids. They felt mm-hmm. so special because their community showed up in their education. And that's what I would yeah. love for the community to show up in education and not just for education to show up in the community as we're shifting this narrative and this landscape. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I think that um, you're absolutely right. We were able to compartmentalize all of these uh, stakeholder positions um, and say, you know, teachers are supposed to do this, students are supposed to be doing this, and parents and community. But I think you're so right. There's power in us all coming together to serve students. Um, And we have a unique opportunity since we're all in a virtual space to be able to do it. Uh, life has slowed down for a whole lot of people. So we have time on our hands. And as you said, there's so much inequity that exists that it's going to take all of us working together to be able to tackle and address. So I know you've only completed year one, um, but I am absolutely certain that you have already given some thoughts about what you want your educational legacy to be. Um, how do you want to be remembered in the profession? Um, I want to be remembered as the lady who cared about kids and community. What that looks like, I can't quite be sure just yet. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, I am going with God on this one. Whatever Mm -hmm. I'm told to do, I'm going to do. For however long I'm told to do it, that's what I'm going to aspire to do. Um, But I don't really care, you know, if people know my name, if they know my face, as long as they know, you know, that my work had good intentions, that I cared about, you know, um, the community, that I cared about the kids that I serve, be it in my hometown, be it in Houston, when I get there at some point or wherever Mm -hmm. I'm going in life, I want them to know, you know, that I was someone who came in, not just, you know, as an infiltrator or somebody who, you know, is here for a job, but somebody who is literally here to transform the landscape of this country one child at a time, to unlock the potential of every child and whatever Mm -hmm. that needs to be unlocked. Bria, I want you to know that I am so incredibly proud of you and the young woman that you are. I am so excited to see how you will continue to impact students and family and this profession for the many years to come. What would be your final advice to new teachers and to veteran teachers as we prepare to go into the new year? Um, I think that as we go into this coming year and all of the years after it, that just stay open, stay open-minded, stay transparent. I hope that it doesn't matter how long you have been in this field, everybody's in a new position. Nobody really knows more than anybody in this moment. Because there's no such thing, to my knowledge anyway, as, you know, a um, virtual teaching degree. If Mm -hmm. you have, then maybe you can be the expert. But right now we're all learning together. So I think just carrying yourself with an amount of humility and love and respect and grace for other people is going to be essential. And also 
showing a little extra time and love and attention to the students that you know, or maybe, you know, we've all got a good gut feeling. I have a feeling in your gut that may be a little more vulnerable right now than others. Do what you can, um, but just keep going. Keep going and take care of yourself in the process because if you don't take care of yourself, you are no good to anybody else. It's okay to find your niche and to switch up. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, you know, I could be a first grade teacher and I could be really good at it and I would love it. And I was good at it, but I didn't love it as much as I love working with older kids. So it's okay to try something different until you find your niche and can operate in that because happy teachers make happy students and happy students are the students that learn so I had to go somewhere where I knew that I would be exceptionally happy yeah you are your best thing as auntie Tony Morrison said you are your best thing and if you take care of your best thing you're not going to make kids believe that they are their best thing so the words of uncle Luke don't stop (laughs) (laughs) that's nice Bria thank you so much for being with us today Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. We are so grateful that you tuned in to today's episode, and we hope that in some small way you were encouraged and enlightened, as well as being equipped with some new skills to add to your self-care toolkit. But let's not allow the conversation to end here. Let's continue in community together all week on Twitter. We ask that you follow us at HCDE underscore TLC. That's the Teaching and Learning Center for the Harris County Department of Education. There you will find information about upcoming workshops, conferences, and other PD events. And also follow me at Erica DH. That's at Erica E double R I C A D H. And don't forget to use the hashtag HCDE wellness space until next time. Be well.